As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's up and welcome back to Spin Rate the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice. I'm back here with Caitlin McGrath, who Abe more than ably stepped in to the hosting role last week while I was ever so briefly off. Uh, the John Stewart v. Larry Larry Sanders vibes continue. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. Back in Toronto. Which is nice because I've been away for like a week. How was Minnesota? That's a nice ballpark they got there. It is a nice ballpark in Minneapolis. It's good location as well. Mm-hmm. This time around, the last time I was in Minneapolis, it was September. And I didn't, I guess I was staying in a different spot. Still downtown, but just like off the side a little more. This time I was more central and... In Minneapolis, they have this thing. It's called the Skywalk. I think they call it the Skywalk. And so it's basically all the buildings downtown, office buildings, hotels, everything, Mm -hmm. is connected on the second floor. So the second floor of basically every building is somewhat like like food courts and shops and stuff. And then they're Mm -hmm. all connected by these skywalks. It's very similar to what Toronto has in terms of the underground Mm -hmm. um, or the path. But... It's just in the sky. And so on the Friday game, I believe, I did the walk to the ballpark, but only using the skywalk. So my hotel connected basically all the way to Target Field. Um, So you're doing that whole entire walk indoors. And then you step out and you're right there. So it's cool. It was nice because it was hot. I think presumably the function of it is more for the winters when it's cold and people don't want to walk outside. But in the summertime, it's convenient as well. But it does close on the weekend, which was not super convenient for me because then I didn't realize that and I tried to do it and I was locked out. So lesson learned. I do get that. The The path has its charms, I guess. Mm-hmm. There was the salad place that I used to go to all the time and that, that was in the path. That, that's like my lasting memory of the value of the path was going there to get a nice a nice salad. But we're the back. The one that was like the one, the salad place that was... By the Dollarama there? Yeah, like right at Bloor and like church sort of. Yeah, yeah. What was it called? I Salad King one. or Salad? Salad King, I think. I think it was Salad. Because a lot of people that worked at Post Media went there when we were. I assume that's when you went there? It was when I worked nearby as well. I worked when okay. I had, when I left Post Media and I went to an agency that was, that was one block further west from when you and I worked together at Post Media. We worked together here on this show called Spin Rate that we do twice a week. We, of course, being me, my name is Drew Fairservice. I am one of the co-hosts of Spinrate. Caitlin McGrath is one of the other co-hosts of Spinrate. She covers the Blue Jays for The Athletic. You can read everything that she writes about the Blue Jays. The surging Blue Jays, splitting a four-game series in the Minnesota Blue Jays, uh, leading the wild card in the American League Blue Jays. She covers them for The Athletic. So if you go to theathletic.com slash spinrate, subscribe, bang, you get it all. You get everything that Caitlin writes, plus everything everybody else writes about the Blue Jays, about trades and and transactions and Prospects and everything, all sports. 
and including the, the footy, which started this weekend in England, starts next week, this coming weekend in Italy. The athletics uh, football coverage is uh, second to none. So hook that up if you are into the beautiful game. We do the show twice a week, as I said. Last week, Caitlin and Josh broke down the trade deadline, and then me and the other co-host of the uh, Josh Goldberg, who stepped in more than ably. And then me and the other co-host, it's Ricky Romero, former Blue Jays All-Star, Cy Young vote receiver. He and I do the show later in the week. So that's what you get when you subscribe to the spin rate, which you should do everywhere you get your podcast. But we're going to start by talking about something, a player that came over at the trade deadline and has made a semi-immediate impact uh, with a bit of a heads-up play on what was a very controversial controversy in Sunday's fourth game of the series in Minnesota, which is probably as good a place to any as to start. We can start talking about that. We'll talk about uh, some injuries in the state of the Blue Jays right now, as well as uh, look at, taking a quick look at the offense and looking ahead to the Orioles coming to town. Right? Yes, coming to town. There's Caitlin in Toronto, so they're coming to town. No, they're in Baltimore. I just did not go. They're in Baltimore. Caitlin's here. Fair enough. I know they're playing Baltimore. That's well, the extent of my knowledge. Let's start talking about the Whit Merrifield play that ended the game. Rocco Baldelli, former member of the Tampa Bay Rays, former member of the Boston Red Sox, current manager of the Minnesota Twins, uh, blew his stack after the review revealed that Twins catcher, I believe it was Gary Sanchez behind the plate, was. Yep. had in, da- in fact blocked Whit Merrifield's progress on his way in on a tag play to left field where former Tampa Bay Ray, former top overall, I believe, draft pick Tim Beckham was playing left field, played first base earlier in the series. There he is in left field, made a really strong throw on a ball that was not hit particularly deep, but strong base running from Whit Merrifield, as well as a really heads up play. I don't know, Caitlin, if you want to talk about uh, or remind those who may not have seen Whit's quote about what he had mentioned. You don't have to obviously quote him verbatim, but he had a, he, he had an, a plan going in on this sack fly play based on something he had seen previously. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but do you do you remember what he had said and and what kind of how it all transpired here in the in the bottom the top of the tenth inning on Sunday? Yeah, well, essentially, he noticed a few nights ago that the way that Gary Sanchez set up at the plate when there could be a play at the plate was that he was standing essentially in the lane that would be the runner's lane. And so he observed that and kind of probably knew Gary Sanchez too, just because players scout each other and they probably mm-hmm. know, especially a player like Witt, who, who base running would be such a essential part of his game. You would think that he would really know catchers and particularly how they set up at the plate. Cause he's probably involved in a lot of those plays. So he knew how he was going to stand there. And sure enough, when he was making that play at third, Gary Sanchez was setting up the same way. And essentially he just tried to slide in basically as best he could um, kind of in a way and such that, and kind of John Schneider alluded to this, the slide was such that it, kind of revealed that he was blocking the plate, essentially. It was the type of play where I don't even know if his legs even got in. I mean, they did eventually touch home plate, but I don't think the controversy or the... Immediately when John Schneider went out, it I think the umpire asked him, like, what are you challenging that he touched the plate or blocking the plate? And John Schneider was, like, blocking the plate. like that, And that was the only way the Blue Jays were going to get that call, right? If they had mm-hmm. challenged, no, he's safe, he's safe, it wouldn't have shown that. So... Blue Jays heads up play from them, John Schneider, their video and like their, their video guys that sit in the back room and are looking at that, realizing they can challenge it. Obviously, Whit Merrifield heads up play as well. So, yeah, it was essentially sliding in such a way that the blocking the plate call is easier to call, right? Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, yeah. I think that that he anticipated that where Gary Sanchez, who's never been regarded often, sometimes unfairly, as a strong defensive catcher, uh, that this might be something he could take advantage of in the event that that he was thrown out. I don't think he went in there being like, I'm going to get an, an interference call on this. He went in there thinking, I'm going to score. But all else being equal... I'm going to do, I think, which is a part of that, that heads up hit play, which was sliding feet first. 
mm-hmm. not trying to slide head first and like dive around the slide or anything, going in feet first, being like, there's not going to be an angle. If, if there's not an angle and I don't beat the throw and the throw is good, then I'm going to make sure that, you know, kind of putting the, put the onus on Sanchez to, to do the, the piece of his job that is required by that play. And then also kind of putting a bit of an onus on the, on the replay umpire, which in the end worked out for the Blue Jays, much to the chagrin of these quickly uh, ejected and then post game uh, incandescent Rocco Baldelli. He was ranting. Yeah. And it's funny because, well, not funny, but like the twins writers being there, they came up a little bit after us, before us. I don't remember. But anyway, the whole gist is that Rocco Baldelli is, Baldelli, uh, is very mild-mannered, calm. Mm -hmm. I don't think he gets heated much. And the thing that I've heard from the writers and such about Baldelli is that he always finds a polite way to say things or, you know, can always find some positive in a situation. So the contrast of who he is usually to who he was after Sunday's game, I wonder if, and we'll get into this, I guess, but I wonder if the way that he acted, he may have suspected he was going to get fined or potentially even suspended anyway so he might have just had have have had at it after the game and i i say that i read aaron gleeman's story where he sort of alluded to potentially there's a suspension or fine coming i think he's just speculating i don't think he knows that but mm-hmm. uh that's well how I'm you're not supposed it. to you're not supposed to argue after the replay right like that's essentially an automatic ejection the replay right. thing like it's been called, it's been reviewed, it's a final decision is final. So you're wasting your breath. So, you know, I think that there's no harm in getting your money's worth. If you, if you already know that, you, that what you've done is, is, uh, is gonna, gonna affect the pocketbook, I suppose. Uh, I, I don't know. What, let, let me ask you then this, Caitlin. Do you, what do you think of the rule as it was called? Do you think that, that, that is, I, Baldelli was talking about it's not fair to both teams that are out there playing so hard and then have this sort of, uh, I believe he used something to the effect of like chicken shit, excuse me, chicken shit call. That's uh, not a, a non-competitive play or something like that. Like, do you think that's the right call? Do you think it's the, you know, it was called accurately? Well, it's funny because Baldelli also in, in his rant, he went on about how this call is never made and it's been in existence for however many years. And there's been thousands and thousands of instances of this and they hardly ever make this call Funnily enough, and I'm sure he wasn't aware of this because he was managing his own game, but at the same time, or just hours, like minutes, hours, I don't know how much before it actually was, but there was a play in the Orioles and Pirates game that was very similar. It was also overturned. I think it was the Orioles catcher was ruled blocking the plate, I believe. I think that's how it went down, but it was in that play. And so it was funny that he was going on this rant about how it was like never, ever been called. And it's been called twice in the same day within a matter of probably hours of each other. Um, You know what? I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this rule in terms of have. This is probably the first time that I've covered a game where it's been called or it's been impactful. I'm not sure that I've ever called a game or called a game. I'm not sure that I've ever covered a game that had this kind of play. Certainly not that I remember this being as controversial as this one was. So I reading the comments and reading just the talk around it, the discourse around this play, I can see how it went the Blue Jays way in this instance. Um, and you you kind of alluded to it, like Gary Sanchez does not have the um, reputation as a great defensive catcher, the way that he's positioning. And I think the rule is that you can't be in their way. You can't be in the runner's way until you have the ball in possession. And so you can kind of see where Sanchez is standing before he has the ball, that it's kind of standing in in the lane in which Wit is going on the same time at the same time as we just discussed, like Wit was really heads up about it and mm-hmm. played it such that, like you said, this call, or like we both said, like this call would be easier for the review to or the review officials to make because of the way that Wit played it. So I think the Blue Jays were pretty lucky to get this overturned, honestly, 
because this is probably one of those gray area type rules. Um, and it some probably can come to sometimes come down to who's sitting in that review booth in New York on days, um, and how they're viewing it and how they interpret the rule. So I kind of understand how both sides came at it. And actually the Blue Jays, they were honestly surprised they got the call. I think Wit was, Wit was the one who was not, at least didn't say he was surprised. He was more like, I'm glad they got it right. I wish they got it right in the moment because it was all along. That's what I saw. John Schneider was a little bit more, I'm a little bit surprised they called it, but I agree that it's the right call. Of course, they're going to say that. And even mm. Kevin Gosman, actually, after the game, which I didn't include in my story because long rant, I had to, I, of course, the games that are long and complicated are is the one time that I'm like, oh, I'm going to fly home the same night. I'll make my flight. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, so I was in a bit of a scramble, my own little scramble trying to get to the airport. And so anyway, um, but Kevin Gosman basically had the perspective of that. He's seen enough baseball games where your team is involved in somewhat of a controversial play and it doesn't go your way. And so he was I think he said that he didn't want to get his hopes up, so he sort of thought that it wasn't going to get overturned, and then he was glad that it did because he's like, oh, I like to be surprised. I like to not um, think it's going to work out, and then when it does work out, I'm happy about it. So he was just kind of – I think that's just his perspective. Um, But, yeah, different sides obviously are going to disagree about this one, and the Blue Jays were probably – I mean, on the one hand, they were leading that whole game and it was tight and then they just let it go in the ninth. And so they were pretty lucky to get away with that win. At the same time, we should mention that when the Blue Jays scored, it wasn't a walk-off. It's not as though Mm -hmm. the game ended. The Twins had a runner on second um, and three chances to get him home. And they didn't. They didn't score a run in the bottom half of that inning. And Jordan Ronald was coming back out. They had already got to him a little bit. So the situation was... Certainly not building towards a inevitable Blue Jays win. You had Romano, who had just had a rocky ninth inning. You had all this controversy swirling. It was a very tense game. It had been a tense series. The crowd was really going. It was really loud. Um, and the Twins obviously weren't able to score. The Blue Jays walk away with a series split. They were really happy with that. But yeah, crazy game. We'll be right back with more spin rate. But first, check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. At the risk of, of delving into uh, a cliche, the momentum was not with the Blue Jays in that moment. Uh, they they had, as you said, sort of kind of given up a run and then and then blown the with the blown save in the top of the uh, the bottom of the ninth. But uh, I think I think I would agree that the, that it was called correctly. I think that the rule is the rule's been around for eight nine years 2014 was the first year of the rule 2013 was when buster posey got hurt uh giants fans will protest loudly they it's not it is not the buster posey rule there was somebody else got hurt that actually was a greater like uh, impetus to to the rule coming in it just has been credited for lack of a better term to buster posey but the rule's been around for a long time it's i think it's important to keep the players on the field to protect them from injury to 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 take that it, it could still be a physical game but that doesn't mean that there, there need to be attempts to like dislodge the ball or run guys over i think right. if sanchez just drops his bat drops his his left leg back and is a bit more even just a little bit more square to uh the bag and where the throw is coming from 
he can make that same play. The ball beat him by enough that if he's kind of offering the plate to him as he's letting the ball come in, he can make he can he can receive the ball, get down and and put the tag down on and 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 get that part of the plate there. Uh, I agree that Merrifield knew like had anticipated it, made a heads up play, made made the call easy for them to get right. And and the one thing I if you watch the replay, he's calling for it right away. He slides oh, yeah. in feet first and then starts said. pointing. He said, he's pointing right he said, at Sanchez's legs. Yeah, I actually asked him about the game because I noticed that too, and I was wondering what he was saying. Was he saying I'm in, I'm in, or like what is he saying? And he said he's blocking the plate. He was blocking the plate. Like he said it right away. Um, mm. And basically the home plate umpire told him, yeah, like they're going to look at it. John Schneider had come out, like they're going to look mm. at it. So right away he knew. And to your other point with Merrifield even said after the game, if this rule wasn't in place, then he could have just gone and collided with Sanchez to try and free the ball up so that he's called safe. Right. Like that's, as you say, that's why the rule was put in place. And so that's that's to make the game safer. And obviously sometimes with you have these types of rules where there is some gray area and some needed interpretation of the rules, then you're going to have some teams that disagree with it. Um, usually the team that is on the losing side of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that this was an instance where you could really see Sanchez was kind of in the lane the entire time well before the ball was in his glove. And as you say, I think there was enough time to make the play had he just done it the correct way. The correct, uh, maybe not how he was coached and taught as a young player, but the way that the game is played now. So, uh, I, we can, we can move on from this. Obviously, it's a, it's a, a good way for the Blue Jays to, uh, you know, they don't ask how they, they don't ask how they ask how many. And it was a win. They split the, ser- the series with the Twins. Uh, what do you think about what we've seen from Whit Merrifield? That is, this is maybe a, an example of the kind of heads up and like base running is kind of a bit of his calling card, stealing bases and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, this is a, a, a hopeful sign of what he can offer. The Blue Jays are, 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 and always have been a very aggressive base running team, but I don't know that outside of, uh, Kevin Biggio, they don't have a great base runner in particular. Yeah. Uh, so this is good, a, it's a Bo's pretty good. Bo's, Bo's aggressive and Teoscar Hernandez is fast and good at taking the extra base. Uh, yeah, you're right. Bo, Bo is good. And, and Vlad has become a very, well, Vlad, Vlad has always been a very aggressive base runner. And I think he still is, but that stolen base and that high, high efficiency in his steals as well is something that they can get from Merrifield, uh, who's a regular as opposed to Kevin Bijou, who's more of like a part-time player at this point. Yes. Well, and Merrifield will be a, re- a regular a lot more now with George Springer on the IL because Whit Merrifield seems to be their, I wouldn't say their preferred center fielder option, but he's certainly one and Rymel Tapia is the other. But in mm-hmm. terms of the trade for Merrifield, yes, when it happened, you're initially a bit confused, honestly, because it came out of nowhere a little bit and it really came in right at the wire. So you're kind of like pitching, pitching, pitching had been the priority and all of a sudden, it's like Jeff Powell was like, and the Blue Jays traded for Whit Merrifield. And you're like, what? Also <laughs> because he was, we knew him to be unvaccinated only a few weeks ago. So that was a confusing part as well. Obviously he is now vaccinated and will, as he's put it, will be in Toronto when the team is in Toronto. But in terms of what he's brought to, now that that's sort of in the rear mirror, um, thankfully, because you just want that to be settled. Um, but when they, when you're seeing Whit Merrifield play, and what I've observed, I'm almost like, did they, did they get this guy just to like give John Schneider like a toy to play with in terms of just like <laughs> the way that he likes to manage the team and the strengths that Whit Merrifield has completely line up with how we've seen the Blue Jays try to play lately, especially with, when John Schneider took over, and you just see the smile on John Schneider's face when he's discussing. Whit Merrifield in the speed and just saying he's got the green light to go whenever he wants kind of thing. And his speed is, as we saw on Sunday, game changing for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays don't win that game, I don't think. Well, who knows what have happened. But in an alternate universe, maybe if they don't have Whit Merrifield, but 
they won because of his speed. And I think we're not to dwell on that play too much, but let's just mention this part as well. Actually, the play getting to third was almost as tight, if not tighter. And that was a tough play because you're dealing with not a infielder in the outfield throwing to home. You're dealing with um, Buxton, who has a great arm from center. And mm -hmm. granted, he was just coming into the game. He hadn't played the whole game, but that was really close play at third. If he hadn't done that, then they don't even have a play at the plate. So yeah, his speed has been great. His center field play has been pretty good so far. Obviously, it's only been like three games or so. The funny thing too was there was a game, I think it was Friday, might have been Saturday, but there was a game when it was Merrifield was in center and then they made some sub like uh pinch hitting substitutions and it's like Merrifield's in second and then like the next inning's like, okay, now Merrifield's back in center and it's like he's just a guy that you can just move around. And even John Chatter said like the next day, yeah, he brings all his gloves to the dugout. So you can just move him around in game and he's fine with that. And so it's the Blue Jays had that a little bit with some other guys, but Whit Merrifield definitely seems to be it's almost his specialty at this point. I think he really enjoys it. And having another option for center field is really huge. I almost think that even though the Blue Jays didn't say this, you have to kind of presume that the uncertainty around George Springer's elbow had to be a factor in why they went out and got Whit Merrifield. I mean, I mm -hmm. don't, even though they're not going to say it because they don't want to see, you know, say anything about George's elbow or whatever, but it had to be a factor. And you see why, like he's, he's been great in that role so far. We've seen the best of what the Blue Jays ever would have expected to get when they were acquiring Mitt, Mitt, Mitt Merrifield, not, not Mitt Wearyfield. He does not <laughs> play. He plays for the, for the bizarro uh, uh, Jays that play on the West coast. The, the, the anyway, uh, what we saw on Friday night you, that you just alluded to is exactly that's something that Ricky and I talked about on the on our last episode, which is what I thought you might see from with Merrifield, which is he'll be in center field and then they move him into second when they want to do their full like full uh, full out outfield defense kind of arrangement yeah. bring when Zimmer in then you can and then that way you know as I kind of suggested or what I what I think is probably going to happen is you're going to see a little bit less of Espinal and Biggio in particular second base when when that when he's able to make that move but then circumstance had them move him back because the Blue Jays uh under no circumstances want to give Bradley Zimmer even a single at bat <laughs> They like don't well. They'll do anything to keep him uh, out of the batter's box. So they 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 did exactly that, where they move Merrifield from center to second. Zimmer goes into center, and then they need to pinch hit for Zimmer. So Biggio hits for him, and then they make that switch back again. So that's something that I'm going to kind of keep my eye on. I think that that makes a lot of sense. The ability to do those sorts those two sorts of things with offensively second base being sort of like the the biggest hole in the lineup, I guess, at this point, the last mm -hmm. hole, realistically, I mean, which is also a position that's been staffed by a, an all-star and a guy like Biggio who, you know, while I always have bad opinions about, about, uh, about, about Kevin Biggio, he is a, you know, he's a guy who's just barely a, under league average in his, um, in his appearances this year, uh, been worth more than more than one win above or above placement, um, and it seems you know more than capable of doing that job. So again, lots of uh, lots of uh, Swiss Army knives for John Schneider to play with, which is pretty cool. So good to see. Uh, we saw all the Jays' acquisitions get some action this weekend. Zach Pop uh, made a couple appearances. Anthony Bass pressed into duty a few different times. Uh, you know, I, nothing really. Out of the ordinary, I guess it's only been a few games. Zach Pop gave up a couple hits, but didn't give up any runs in his first outing. Pitched a pitch fine the next time out. Anthony Bass had a little bit of a, a little bit of a rougher ride, but I don't like hasn't pitched poorly. That's that's for sure. But it's only been obviously been a couple games, a couple times out, and of course coming into those more challenging situations where he was coming in behind uh, Tim Meza, uh, who it's was of course been injured. That particularly rough ride. He gave up a home run in that like nine two game. Yeah, and that's then, right. He did too. That's right. He was, did. And then I think the rest of his outings have been scoreless. I think he gave up a walk, maybe he gave up a hit, but I don't think he's allowed another run. Yeah, that's right. He gave up the home run uh, in the in the debut against Minnesota. Then he pitched two, gave up a walk, and then he pitched, uh, and then he gave up a hit there on uh, on Sunday. But he did pick up the hold for whatever that's worth. And he's got three strikeouts in those in those two and two third innings. So exactly what they uh, what they thought they were getting in former. Former current Blue Jay, Anthony Bass. Now we should talk about Mesa. Uh, the the decision 
to go and bolster the bullpen was was a wise one as you never know everybody's every every pitcher is one step off the mound away from being on the disabled list it seems like so many pitchers just they just seem to get hurt falling around on the mound Tim Meza uh, with a valiant effort to field a was it a bunt or a swinging bunt from Sandy Leon I don't even remember it's supposed to be a squeeze play type oh that's right it was a safety squeeze in front of the plate and Meza came charging in lunged I don't know if it was in the lunge or in the fall um, uh, you, you may know the it was the gotten, fall. So he yeah. lunged, tried to pick up the ball with his glove, but missed it. And then sort of just almost slipped and toppled over. And as that was happening, he collided with the base runner. His arm was, got into the base runner. Yeah. Yeah. Without so the ball. It was co- like, yeah. So I think it was the collision with the base runner that dislocated the shoulder. I'm assuming potentially the collision plus the fall, maybe both. But it was pretty obviously dislocated right away. You could tell. He was not okay. He was uh, kicking and rolling around in the dirt, which is never a good sign. That is a suggestion of a person in distress. Uh, I, I will leave it to you. What's, what is, is he done for the year? I don't know if I've seen anything that says anything one way or the other. But There wasn't a definitive answer yet. I think there was optimism that he wouldn't be done for the year. The way that John Schneider had talked afterwards, he said something along the lines of, and he'll be back for us and down the stretch or something like that. So that was immediately after. And I don't think that they had had an MRI yet. So obviously the shoulder had been popped back in mm-hmm. by that point And Mesa was in a sling. I don't know what the, I think the recovery time for a dislocated shoulder is probably greatly varies. And I think it also depends on like if you've ever dislocated your shoulder before this was Maze's first time dislocating his Mm. shoulder. So popping it back in was a little bit trickier. I asked one of the trainers like who did it? And uh, he said the the Minnesota doctor did it um, because it was, again, it was like the first time. And I guess Mm. if you've popped your shoulder out a few times, putting it back in is easier but the first time it comes out, it's actually a bit trickier. So they had the Minnesota doctor do it. But I guess I could see Mesa being done because it was a pretty significant injury. At the same time, it was his non-throwing shoulder, which I asked, like, is that <laughs> imp- like is that matter? And John Schneider kind of smirked and was like, well, it's better than it had been his throwing shoulder, which like, duh. Um, but I think that it's still bad. It's still a bad injury. I'd imagine it's going to be somewhere along the lines of like at least six weeks recovery. Right. Um, and an MRI would probably be needed just to see if there's any sort of other kind of damage or whether it was just like sort of a clean, like dislocation. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't know that we long way of saying, I don't know. I think we don't know if Mesa will be back. I think there's some optimism that he will be back. The way that the blue Jays were talking about it afterwards was like, it could have been worse and we'll get him back at some point. And so that might've just been like post injury optimism from their part. But I think we don't really know a timeline yet. Potentially it's maybe he's available in the playoffs if they get there. And it's cause then you're talking about almost two months away at that point. So maybe that's possible. Um, we'll have to wait and see, I guess, but long way of way saying, I don't think we can say he's done for the season at this point until we have more information. Yeah. The non-throwing shoulder piece is big, but at the same time, it's not as though throwing a baseball at 95 miles an hour is something that's done with one arm and one arm (laughs) only. It is a full body activity. I can't, uh, I can't picture Maze's mechanics in my head, but I, you know, it's, his arm is not stuck to his side. His, his non-throwing arm is not just kind of lang- ha- hanging there limply as he right. guns 95 in there. So uh, that's and a you blow. Still have to cat- you're still wearing a glove and you've got to catch with your non-throwing shoulder or not th- non-throwing arm. So it's not as hey. though you can just go up there and put that arm behind your back and just throw. Jim Abbott pitched a no-hitter in the big leagues, man, and he had he had one hand. He, of course, he spent, had spent his lifetime perfecting that I don't know if you're probably too young to remember, but uh, that amazing technique where he would hold his glove with his non-throwing arm that did not have a hand from birth and, and would be, he was able to transfer the glove onto his throw, same throwing arm so quickly. Unbelievable. Jim Abbott threw a no hitter, uh, pitch for the Yankees and the, and the Angels back in the day. 
uh, truly a, like a ridiculous, like a insanely uh, great story of just like determination and like making, doing what you need to do to be, to live your dream. Good for shout out to Jim, Jim Abbott. Any, any opportunity to talk with Jim Abbott is a good one. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What does that mean for the Blue Jays bullpen now without Tim Mesa, who was obviously a high leverage guy, obviously a guy having a great year. Uh, Matt Gage, I believe, is back up. And now Trent Thornton's on the on the taxi squad. But uh, Gage has been pretty good, but he's not Mesa, I guess, is the concern. Well, it's actually the opposite. The initial move was that Trent Thornton was activated mm. and Matt Gage is on the taxi squad. I don't know exactly the reason for that. And we forgot to ask because of all the things that were also happening after Sunday's game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, but Matt Gage is around. So I would presume potentially against the Orioles that he'll be activated. So they'll have a lefty in their bullpen for that. But outside of Gage, there's not a ton of options down the Blue Jays depth chart. The next name I think you would turn to, or you would think of would be Taylor Saucedo, who, was with the team in April very briefly, then got injured, and then has been on the IL ever since. It was a hip issue that he was dealing with then, and he's been on the IL for a long time, and then at some point he was transferred to the 60, probably for a roster move. And then he's ever since has just been on the 60, but he's been pitching in Buffalo. He's been pitching really well in Buffalo. So I wonder if he'll finally get a look Matt Gage has the first chance, but if he doesn't get the job done, I would I would assume the Blue Jays turn to Sacedo, and maybe they bring him up either way if they feel like they need another lefty or they feel like they want that look in their bullpen or that he's earned. Um, but that would take a 40-man move because, again, he was put on the 60, so he was removed from the 40-man. So that would be a little bit of roster juggling for them. But, yeah, not a ton of options. Losing Meza was big not just because he was a leverage arm because he was pitching really well and because he's kind of seen as a really important figure in the bullpen just sort of from the intangible standpoint Mm -hmm. but he was also the only lefty they don't have another option there and they like to use trevor richard sometimes against lefties with the change up but obviously trevor richards while pitching a lot better lately he is a bit of a three true outcome type of guy where it's either walk strikeout or home run it seems a lot of the time so you feel okay about using him but you also maybe don't love to use him when guys are on base whereas Meza, you felt always comfortable using him with guys on base because he's so prone to those ground balls that you can get a lot of double plays with him on the mound i will say and, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Trevor Richards is a great example. Uh, this year against lefties, Trevor Richards has faced 84 of them. He's got 24 strikeouts, eight walks. He's given up three home runs. So, you know, not terrible. Uh, and the Blue Jays, to their credit, they have a lot of guys that have a lot of different looks, right, in the in the bullpen. So even if it is only righties back there, especially in the higher leverage, I think they could probably get away with it. Because, you know, you've guys got, you've got, uh, pitchers like, like uh, Richards or a guy like Adam Simber, right? Coming from, from down below like that. You know, his, his numbers this year against lefties are pretty good. Same mm-hmm. thing. Again, not only he's allowed, uh, he's allowed eight runs, Adam Simber, uh, in, against 69 uh, appearances, 69 lefty uh, plate appearances. Uh, you know, Zach Pop, uh, sinker slider guy that can, that can maybe get in there and, uh, and break some bats or, or or keep stuff off the off uh, off the 
off the plate if he's thrown that sinker out to the outside corner against lefties and then he can come back with the slider back on onto the onto their back foot uh yumi garcia so i said yumi i know i think stoughton called it out that that atkins was calling him yumi and then the pronunciation guide has changed or something it's jimmy but i think it's it's gone back is what i'm saying that everyone was calling him jimmy but then atkins was calling him yumi and then the the pronunciation guide said something said it was yumi i i i have been calling him jimmy too but Anyway, he's been great against both. Is what I'm is what I'm trying to say. Garcia, he has pitched really well against both lefties and righties. Not striking out a ton of lefties, but uh, not giving up a great deal of hits. Nine hits and sixty one plate appearances uh, for lefties against Garcia. So I don't think that they're up a creek. It would be nice if there was somebody who could step in and do that job. Someone who is who is uh, you know a lefty killer. But I think with the three batter rule, those days are, are gone a little bit. Yeah, they are and, a little bit. I mean, who you look ahead, who, who, you know, if you're facing the Yankees, right? Maybe you want somebody who can get lefties out really well. If you've got, if you've got Anthony Rizzo, is that Anthony Rizzo, no, Anthony Rizzo, Matt Carpenter, is that really what you're loading up for? I mean, that's, those aren't the guys that, I mean, Rizzo, well, I should reserve judgment about Rizzo, but you know, the Yankees are, have so many good right-handed batters, as an example. Houston got a lot of good right-handed batters. Do you want a lefty? Does it matter who you're putting in there against Jordan Alvarez? I will hazard a guess and say that it does not. I don't care who you got going up against <laughs> Jordan Alvarez. You're up Shit's Creek. Uh, so, yeah, it would, Meza is, is, there's a reason that he was such a key piece to the bullpen. I think that it could be okay without him, I guess is the, lo- the long way of saying uh, they can maybe spread those high leverage lefty plate appearances around. Um, you know, maybe there's a keep a couple of those couple guys away from them, but uh, yeah, it's, it sucks. Truth be told, it sucks. There's no other way around it, but they will uh, try to figure something out. Yeah. And if there's a, again, the silver lining, maybe it's not that he's done for the year. Maybe they can have him back when it really matters late in September and or early October before the postseason, that would be nice. And the one thing about Mays is that he's come back from a lot worse. So that was one of the mm. things that John Schneider had said that they know he can come back. Um, and he's almost been better post that gruesome Tommy John slash other arm injury that he suffered back in 2019. So there's, there's some optimism around Tim Mays. But yeah, it was, it sucked to see. You never want to see that on the field um mm-hmm. and it just looked like he was in a ton of pain so i'm sure that he was i yeah. feel strongly that he was also zach pop uh pretty pretty neutral splits when you talk about uh, uh him against lefties i would as assume well. that maze i'm assuming that anthony bass is probably fairly neutral as well yeah, I, I, I can double check, but I, I feel, I mean, as a Blue Jay, his numbers haven't been good. He's faced four lefties and that was one of the home, the home run he gave up was against the lefty. So in his, in his one inning against lefties, they don't, they don't, Joe uh, doesn't jump off the page, but that doesn't mean that he's not a guy uh, who has pretty good splits. Actually his, you know, yeah, 2022. Yeah, not bad, but in a, in a, significant split way better against righties than against lefties. So maybe Anthony Bass is the one you want to keep away a little bit. Nevertheless, we'll move on to the offense, which uh, scored nine runs Thursday. Uh, didn't score quite as many, but it's hard not to feel good about the state of the Blue Jays offense right now. I think we could, so the next piece we could talk about, uh, obviously we've talked about the impact that a guy like Whit Merrifield makes, not just uh, at the, in the batter's box, but on the bases, as well as the flexibility he gives him in the lineup. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is, uh, is it a 19 game hitting streak? Maybe 18. not that many. 18. 18. Uh, you know, hitting the ball over the fence every so often as well, even though he still, you know, does Vlad stuff and hits the ball on the ground a lot. Bobichette had a great weekend. Uh, the reports of his demise were great, greatly overstated. Um, you know, Matt Chapman is, uh, is, is still kind of riding, riding high, looking good and, and turning in good plate appearances. I guess maybe the only, is there any concern about the, the slumping Alejandro Kirk, who I believe is, is he still mired in like an 0 for 20 slump? No, he had a hit. He had a single, the end of the Minnesota game on Sunday. So oh, he there broke you go. That. Yeah. He's back. He's back I, in a big way. I think there's probably been some adjustments made to him given that he was 
among the best hitters in the majors for a while there. And uh, certainly one of the most dangerous hitters on the Blue Jays team. So you kind of expect at some point pitchers are going to adjust back to him and he's going to have to make the adjustment. I think towards the end of the Minnesota series, you saw he was making good contact. There was a couple Mm -hmm. instances where he just hit the ball right at somebody, which happens. So you like to see how hard the ball is coming off of his bat. There has been a little bit more swing and miss coming from him. Potentially that's just from some frustration, from some trying to, you know, break the, break the skid a little bit, but he did get that hit. And so that's good to see. And he was hitting the ball pretty hard in some of those Mm. last plate appearances. So I would also take a positive from that. I also wouldn't be that worried. The guy, what he, the guy is hits. That's what he does. Like as he came up the system, as he's performed in the major leagues, he hits. And so every, you can expect that every player is going to go through a little bit of a skid. Maybe it looks a little bit more stark because for so for like about two and a half months or whatever, however long it was, he was just such a automatic hit or very tough out. And so lately we've seen him look a little bit more vulnerable at the plate, but I think there's probably very low concern about Alejandro Kirk because he just figures out a way to, to get hits. And so I think that you like what you're seeing up and down the offense. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has also been on a tear and he has, I believe a 20 game on base streak going right now. Mm -hmm. He probably has the highest average on the team, I would think. He's almost turning into his brother a little bit in the sense that uh, Yuli, I think, won the batting title last year. Yuli's not having that type of year this year, but Lourdes is. And Lourdes has obviously exchanged some power for a different approach at the plate. And he's walking a lot more. He's getting on base a lot more. He's just singling a lot more. And it's kind of been cool to see that evolution of his Um, and Vlad looks great. He basically looks almost nearly like the 2021 version of him. Like you get this feeling where you start to just expect that Vlad's going to get a hit. And I started to feel that in this last week series, especially in Minnesota. It was like, you just kind of knew he's going to get a hit here. He's going to get on base here. Like you're not seeing him look a little lost at the plate. He's really zoning in on his pitches. I think right now. Couple things. <clears throat> Number one, yeah, uh, Lourdes is leading the team. He's got a three twelve average right now. Yeah, not yeah. hitting as many home runs, but like getting on base and just like being. Uh, I, I really, I like that. I, at the quote, the teens. I love that for you, Lourdes, because uh, it's like a really good counterpoint to what the lineup was, even when it was you know world destroying. He's he's just sort of broken that mold a little bit of not being like a free swinging kind of you know all or nothing sort of right-handed batter with a lot of swing and miss in his game he's uh he's changed that and it just makes the lineup that much tougher and it you know when there are guys who get on base as much as, as so many of the blue jays are when they are right uh it really is uh makes him a really really difficult uh difficult out uh, vladimir guerrero junior so uh, this perception versus reality sometimes Vlad has had uh, obviously not been as good a hitter or not had as been as productive or had as much success in 2022 mm-hmm. compared to 2021. What do you think his way to runs created plus is? I don't know if you've looked at it recently. So I think last year he ended with like a 141 or something like that. And I think this year he's at, at about 130. Ooh, Vlad? Yeah. Yeah. So last year, yeah, last year Vlad's was he was one sixty six, so that's oh, like okay. really good, right? Like that's six, so it means he's sixty six percent more productive than the league average hitter. This year it's one forty three. Oh, this so this like, year it's one forty. It's I like think, the quietest one forty three of all time. So I think what I looked up was that I think in the first half he was one thirty, mm. and I think that he's now raised it to about one forty three, as you said. And I think when I looked it mm. up yesterday, it was like one forty one, probably before the game. So. Even the first half where we were, were not necessarily we, but the general discourse around Vlad was how disappointing the first half had been for him. Meanwhile, he's 30% better than league average. And mm-hmm. in the whatever amount, couple weeks of time we've had in the second half, he's already raised that more than 10%. So we could be talking about 
a second half. I mean, what are his second half? It's probably his second half rated runs created places probably in like the 200s. Yeah. In the last 30, where, where do I have it here? In the last 30 days, where'd it go? He's like, he's, he's really, his numbers are crazy. His yeah. numbers are really, really good. He's hitting um, like 400, over 400 in this yeah. 18 game hit streak since July 15th. He's hitting 411, 30 for 73 with eight doubles, three home runs, 16 runs scored, and 12 RBI. It's his yeah, longest last, hitting streak of his career. Last play, last 100 plate appearances, he has, is hitting 359 right. with a 576 slugging. So his weighted runs created plus over that period is 174, which is good enough for third on the Blue Jays. Obviously, Matt Chapman, who went off. Uh, striking out a ton, Matt Chapman, 40% strikeout rate, but it uh, doesn't matter. Hit the ball over the fence and everything's good. And I want to take one quick second. We talk about the offense. We talk about where it is. Uh, just this is that they're at that point where even though they only they only had really one big outburst over the weekend, but there's just so many dangerous hitters and you can't you don't know who it's going to be. And when they're able to kind of score runs in different ways, uh, as Whit Merrifield demonstrated with, you know, move, advancing on one fly and then scoring on a sack fly that was not hit particularly deep by Kevin Biggio, uh, that's, a, that just an adds another element because they do just all hit. And the guy I, of course, want to shout out is, is Teoscar Hernandez, who is ridiculous. Yeah. He's so good. Really Teoscar good Hernandez. Lady. Let, let me ask you, I'll ask you this, then mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to put you on the spot once more. What do you think okay. Teoscar Hernandez is OPS plus? We'll use OPS plus because I've got, I had it handy uh, this year. Again, a guy who was like mired in a long slump off the start of the season. OPS plus, I don't use that set as much. Um, it's basically my reference it runs point. Plus. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a hundred is average, right? So mm-hmm. I would say his OPS plus is 125. It's 131. Okay. So you were very close. 131, 30% better than league average, which is the exact same number he posted in 2021. It's right. a little bit of a different shape. He's not getting on base quite as much, but uh, he's just he's just having a great another great year. And I think he's uh, hitting more singles and doubles this year. I, he's not hitting mm-hmm. as many home runs. Mm-hmm. He is lately. He's started to find his swing, but I think the injury that he had earlier in the year, maybe, and those oblique things are always, they can come, you can, players can come back from them sometimes fairly quickly, but they can also be one of those lingering types of injuries where whether they're affecting you, whether your mind is saying they're affecting you, all those types of things. So I would assume that influenced some of his power early on, but you're Mm -hmm. seeing him now look like the guy he used to be with the big swing. He's getting his doubles, but he's also getting a lot of home runs lately. He also, the number of Jays that have hitting streaks right now, I think he's also on a hitting streak eight games. Um, mm-hmm. And in that span, he's hitting uh, over 300 with three doubles, three home runs, and six RBI. He also has 43 hits in his last 36 games. If you go back over the last three years, he's the in terms of weighted runs created plus, he's number eight in, in terms of uh, wins above replacement. He's number 10 among all outfielders in all of baseball, like ahead of some some really good uh, some really good players. Uh, are behind him. He's just really productive and 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 is a is a fun little base runner uh, because he's very fast and has hits lots of home runs. He got sixty home runs, which is just behind Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto. Obviously, also, he doesn't get on base as much as Juan Soto because nobody does. But uh, but just a, a great great player and a huge part of this team. Also, let's just shout out because we haven't. But Kevin Gosman has not allowed a run in his last two starts. 14 innings, mm-hmm. struck out 15 batters in that in those two starts. Much more against the Rays. Ten, he struck out 10 Rays, which he matches up well against the Rays because they swing a lot. They strike out a mm-hmm. lot. Whereas mm-hmm. the Twins do not strike out a lot. They're more like the Jays where they can put the ball, bat, put the bat on the ball. Um, but Kevin Gosman's, he had his season worst outing, I think, two three starts ago against the Cardinals, allowed five runs. It wasn't even that. It was bad, but it was not, like not horrific. Well, there was but, that one. There was that bad one, and then there was one against the Orioles in Toronto when he was like sick or whatever. Yes, that was bad. But that was like he just didn't even get out of like the second or third inning. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. It was, the Cardinals were like he. And I think he pitched deeper, but they put up five runs against him. Mm-hmm. But he's looked really good lately. Um, and 
So I just wanted to shout him out because we talked a lot about every other aspect of the game and not Kevin. Sometimes, honestly, Kevin Gosman has been in so many situations where he has had games where like he's the only thing to talk about. But I feel like he's also been a lot in a lot of games where like you forget. Like he was the pitcher in the twenty eight to five win over the Red Sox. So mm-hmm. in no way was he factoring into my story that night, even though he pitched really <laughs> well <laughs> enough. It was like, sorry, Kevin Gosman, I know you threw five innings here, whatever it was. But those those two games have something else in common other than being Kevin Gosman starts, which is perhaps the uh, the the linkage here. That was a game in which the Blue Jays did not walk a single batter on Sunday. In Sunday's game, the Blue Jays did not walk a single member of the Minnesota Twins. I get the sense that the Minnesota Twins are not uh, easy to walk. But when you have a pitcher with as much uh, control and command as Kevin Gosman, who is only walking one point five batters per nine innings. You put yourself in a position to win, and then it makes it it makes it harder for offenses like the Twins to stack hits and hits and hits on hits when there aren't those extra free base runners that are mixed in there. Uh, the Blue Jays fourteen times this year they have uh, they have not issued a free pass, and you would not be surprised to learn that they are twelve and two in those games. They lost when they were shut out. Uh, by the Rays, and they lost a game against the Yankees, which I believe was the game that Aaron Judge had a walk-off home run. I'm going to bet that right before I look. And it was not a walk-off home run. It was something else. Not that game. But not, no walks. That's good to see. Uh, and that's, well, the, well, the bullpen has been ma- not, not exactly made over, but that to me is a sign of a bullpen that's going pretty good. And, and, and a pitching staff that's that's putting themselves, that's not shooting themselves in the foot. By uh, by issuing those free passes because that's where uh, big innings are made. So a lot to talk about. Big weekend, lots going on. Obviously injuries and 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 grid performances all the way through the lineup. You know the, your new look Toronto Blue Jays who are taking on the somewhat old look Baltimore Orioles. Obviously the, the the Jays host or go into Baltimore facing a team that is sort of on the outside looking in of the wild card race. A team that did not make much in the way of additions at the trade deadline, you know, famously traded Trey Mancini, kind of heart and soul of their team, who has gone on to hit many home runs in a short stint with Houston, uh, who, of course, acquired him, as well as trading their closer. Jorge to, Lopez. Or Jorge Lopez, who the, to the twins, who the Blazers just saw. Uh, so maybe the, the Orioles, you know, their, their best, I would say their best stretch of the season is behind them. That's not uncommon to say. What did they win, 14 games in a row or something obnoxious like that? Uh, or that would no, that was Seattle won 14 games in a row, but uh, the Orioles are still a dangerous team, a team that can score plenty of runs, and a team that does uh, still have a formidable bullpen even without Jorge Lopez. Uh, mm-hmm. Any 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 keys or concerns, things you, you got your eye on uh, when it comes to this Orioles series coming up? Well, the Orioles are going pretty good right now. They've won five mm. of their last six games, but granted, those were games were against Texas and the Pirates. Who are both not good teams. They got blown up by the Pirates on Sunday. Yeah, they lost that one, but they've won the mm-hmm. previous two in that series, and then they swept, I think, the Texas Rangers, who are not a good team. But the Orioles are definitely dangerous. I wonder that after the deadline, I think there was some speculation. Is this going to be deflating for them? Because as you alluded to, they traded Trey Mancini, who has was a longtime Oriole, was inspirational for that team both on and off the field and then trading your closer I think was a bit devastating because I think he had been a leader in that bullpen he had been a guy that had found his form this year and was kind of leading that rejuvenated Orioles bullpen and he gets to go to a team he probably has a chance to pitch in the postseason now whereas the Orioles it's probably still more of a long shot that they're going to make the postseason even though they are in the mix in terms of those teams that are just on the outside looking in. So this will be an exciting, probably still dramatic tense series for the Blue Jays. It's interesting because I wondered if the Blue Jays were getting off a little easy. It's it's funny to say that against the Orioles, but were they getting off a little easy because so many of their games against the Orioles are backloaded into these final two months of the season. The Blue Jays have only played the Orioles four games so far and they were all at home they split that series against them and those were pretty tight competitive games I think there was one blowout on either side Mm -hmm. and then there was two close games Blue Jays won one on a walk-off the Vlad walk-off um so they 
Orioles match up pretty well against the Blue Jays. They have an offense that's somewhat similar in the sense that they can put the bat on the ball. The bullpen, as you say, is really good. Where their weakness is, is obviously the starting rotation. And so the Blue Jays, this is the recipe for success for any team, but especially for the Blue Jays, they are so good when they are front running a team. And if they can jump out against, I think it's Jordan Lyles tonight. So if they can jump on the starter and put up, you know, four, five, six runs, they're really good when they are leading the way in, in games. So I think that'll be key for them because that bullpen, that Orioles bullpen is really good. It's tough to hit against. And by contrast, like the, the Orioles lineup is tricky to maneuver. So this series could be highly competitive. I think the Blue Jays still have the upper hand, but I'm excited to see how they match up against them. And actually, this is the first time that the Blue Jays are going to Camden Yards, where the dimensions are obviously different in left field, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, left. Mm-hmm. So Not as many that's cheapy home runs. Exactly. So I they won a game last year because Springer hit a ball to left field that just squeaked over (laughs) that fence and they ended up winning that game it was a comeback win so this is the first time they're going there this year so it'll be a different look for them it's a different looking Baltimore Orioles team it's a more competitive team and a team that's going to be really driven to beat the Blue Jays because I think so far we've seen that the Orioles haven't gone away since the trade deadline they could have just been like well our GM says we're not you know, worthy of investing in. So let's just pack it in, but they haven't done that. But again, they also haven't played a really good team since then, I think, because it was Texas and then, yeah, the Pirates. So we'll see. I can see this series going so many different ways. I could see a Jays sweep. I could see an Orioles sweep. I could see a win on either side. I don't know. I don't know. I think the Blue Jays have Kikuchi going tonight, which is always... A bit of a always dicey, always dicey. Uh, yeah, the Orioles are scary. Adley Rutschman has a 129 OPS plus, his OPS is up over 800. Uh, the of of all the under 25 catchers in the American League East, he's definitely one of the best, too. That much is sure. (laughs) Uh, and then, yeah, like Ryan Mountcastle, who is a league average hitter who destroys the Blue Jays, kills them every single time. Uh, Cedric Mullins kind of back to earth a little bit. Anthony Santander having another good year at the plate. Uh, obviously, Mancini's gone. Austin Hayes, famous for robbing a home run from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, in 2019. Uh, I mean, famous to me anyway. Uh, but uh, like you said, that bullpen is ridiculous ridiculous Dylan Tate Felix Bautista uh, Brian Baker Baker and Sio and uh, Perez who has uh has he given up any runs this year his ERA plus is 351 he has an ERA of 115 that's uh, pretty good he's given up f- six runs in 44 games Brian Baker is that good Brian former Baker too yeah former, former Blue, Blue Jay. Jay former drummer for Bad Religion wow Brian Baker <laughs> uh Big day. Big big series. It's fun. And and hopefully the Blue Jays can dispirit the Orioles enough that the rest of their games, which is like somebody shared some absurd number, like 27% of the games remaining against the Orioles, like a 15 left out of what, 54? Yeah. Well, they do. The Blue Jays do, keep in mind, they do have a pretty easy schedule for the remainder. They've still got series against the Pirates. They've got series against the Cubs left. They've got a ton of games against the Orioles. They still have a few games against the Red Sox. Um, so <laughs> early in the season, you wouldn't have said the Red Sox are an easy part of the schedule, but now they mm-hmm. are. Um, there's still games against the Yankees left, but and there's quite a few games left against the Rays. But, I mean, this stretch mm-hmm. that they just, like, the Twins was going to be a tough one. So I think you walk away feeling good about a split, especially in that ballpark, because it's a tough ballpark to play in. Twins get really good crowds there. There was a lot, a lot of Blue Jays fans there, though. Like, there was a lot of dueling cheers happening. There'd be, like, a Blue Jays cheer, and then, like, the Twins fans would start booing them, and then there'd be. So. That's fun. It was a good crowd. It was a good crowd. But, yeah, I think the Blue Jays are 3-3 three and three on this road trip so far, and you've played two good teams or two teams that are also in playoff spots. So you're splitting so far. So I think if they could come away with a win in that Orioles series and then come out on the winning side of the road trip, they'd feel good about that. 
series coming up against the Angels, as you said, the Angels, the Cubs, and then they go to Pittsburgh. If you're a Blue Jays fan and you're jealous of watching your friends from Manitoba or Northern Ontario go and invade uh, Target Field, or if you have people who have done the same thing in Seattle famously, uh, and you live in, say, Southern Ontario or Western Ontario, maybe you aren't able to get out to as many Jays games in Toronto, let me tell you, go to PNC. Are you going to Pittsburgh? Uh, I believe I have asked to go. We'll see if I get it. It is a wonderful experience. What a beautiful ballpark uh, right down there in uh, in downtown Pittsburgh. Lots of places to stay nearby. Sometimes if you're lucky, uh, you might catch the players walking from the stadium to the hotel. So if you're a Blue Jays fan looking to creep around. I famously saw Nori Aoki walking from the stadium to the uh, when he was playing for the Giants, walking from the stadium back to the hotel, which was, uh, again, famously to me. But uh, go to Pittsburgh if you have the opportunity. It's a it's a weekend series. They got an afternoon game uh, on Sunday, evening game on Saturday. Good to look forward to. And if you are like me and you are right now doing some Otani math, trying to count and see if if the Angels uh, ace will get a start in Toronto. Uh, if he will, well, you will see me there. Didn't I've he leave decided. the game? Didn't he? I thought he left the game. Was he not hurt in his last start? I, th- I thought he left a game, but I only saw a tweet that said Otani has gone down to the dugout, but I don't know if I ever saw a follow-up to that. He he pitched pretty well his uh, last time out, I remember. I, th- I hope he's okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm I think just... he, got, he got hit with something. Anyway, oh, okay. Maybe you're right. It says Otani, forearm. Nonetheless, <laughs> he had three hits. Oh, that was Thursday. That was Oh, that was the game. That was the game with the Angels at seven home runs, and they still lost. <laughs> Oh my was god. Was it seven solo seven home runs? Seven solo home runs. They lost eight seven. <laughs> to the A's. <laughs> to the A's. <laughs> to the A's. <laughs> oh my God. It's terrible. What a terrible debacle. Oh, there is show uh, injury. What's going on? How did I miss this? This is important. Anyway. Oh, they collide awkwardly behind pull, pull up behind the plate, but both stay in the game. He's fine. Okay. Anyway, keep your eye out if, if you're getting a chance to see Otani start. It might be the last time you see him start in Toronto as a member of the Angels as opposed to a member of the Blue Jays. So something to look forward to. Caitlin will be there when the Blue Jays play the Angels in Toronto. She'll mm-hmm. be covering the Jays series against Baltimore for The Athletic. So as I said before, make sure you go to theathletic.com slash spin rate. Subscribe if you haven't already. They'll give you a tidy deal. We'll hook you up to read all of the offerings from within The Athletic. Make sure you subscribe to the show. We do twice a week. Me and Caitlin here today in your ears. Later this week, me and Ricky Romero will be doing a very similar thing. So subscribe to Spin Right Hit us with a rating or with a review. We appreciate all the feedback. We love to hear from you. And we love to know that you're out there listening because it you know keeps the bosses happy as well. But that's it for this one. So enjoy this series against the now fearsome Baltimore Orioles, or at least wearisome Baltimore Orioles. But until we speak again, her name is Caitlin. My name is Drew. We will talk to you on the very next edition of Spinner.